uh, our appreciation for your prayers for Bruce and Eleanor this past week. Bruce's surgery was successful and he was released from the hospital, so he's home recovering now. And just continue to pray for he and Eleanor that that healing process would, would be a speedy one and that they would be patient throughout this, these days of healing. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I've heard that saying a lot, but I've never known where it had come from until this week. I looked it up, and it actually comes from a quote from a movie, The Godfather 2. But what it means, I do know. It means that we need to play, pay close, closer attention to our enemies than our friends. And why would that be? Well, because our friends have our best interests in mind, where our enemies are looking to harm us. So to ignore our enemies makes us more vulnerable to their attacks. And no more, nowhere is that more true than in the spiritual realm. And Jesus knew that. Over the past several weeks now, we've been making our way through John chapter 8. Last week, we focused on verses 31 to 47. In these verses, Jesus is addressing those Jews who had believed in him, according to verse 31. But although the, those Jews had believed in him, claimed to be children of Abraham, look at verse 39, Abraham is our father, and children of God, verse 41, we have one father, God, Jesus charged them with being children of the devil. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. And then in supporting his charge, Jesus speaks plainly about the devil. His cause, his cover, and his coercion. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me for the reading from God's Word. We'll begin reading at verse 31 of John chapter 8. Allow me to read it for us. Beginning at verse 31 of John chapter 8. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, 
Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we are, born of, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. May God help us to understand the reading of his word and then apply it to our lives. You may be seated. Allow me to lead us in prayer this morning based on Psalm 25. Let's pray together. O Lord, we give our lives to you. We trust in you. Our God, show us the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for us to follow. Lead us by your truth and teach us, for you are the God who saves us. All day long, we put our hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of our youth. Remember us in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive our many, many sins. Protect us. Rescue our lives from them. Don't let us be disgraced, for in you we take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect us, for we put our hope in you. And now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Let me be crystal clear. The devil is not your friend. 
First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 identifies him as your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that someone could be you or me. And Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 identifies him as the accuser of the brethren, referring to genuine believers, who accuses them before our God day and night. The Old Testament book of Job, if you want to turn there to chapter 1, gives us a glimpse into what that might look like. Chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now flip over to verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, he will surely curse you to your face. So Job is saying, or Satan is saying, the devil is accusing Job of only responding to God positively because of what God does for him. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. After that, Satan took all his things away, Job didn't respond the way he wanted to and still worship God. Verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and, flat, and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Again, Satan appeals to God and says, the only reason that he worships you, lives for you, is because of your blessing on his life. So that's how the devil or Satan could accuse us, attack us. The devil is not your friend. He is your accuser, your adversary, especially if you're a true disciple of Jesus. In the scripture, God names things and people, creatures, for what they are. Names are often extremely significant. The devil is referred to in scripture as Satan, the adversary, the accuser, an enemy, the serpent, the deceiver of the whole world, the ruler of this world in John chapter 12, verse 31, the God of this age in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. One theology text on my shelf in the study has 29 different biblical labels that are attached to Satan. Not one of them even comes close to being a friend. But where did this 
devil come from? Let's go back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16, becomes even more definitive. For through him, God, that's through Christ, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. So right out of the gate, we know that the devil is a created being. Now listen, most of us this morning will be familiar with that creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and, and 2. And you'll know how that story wraps up. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. But then we turn to Genesis chapter 3. And something's happened between Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the, tree, from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die direct contradiction of what God had said. But here we have the devil in the form of a serpent is found tempting Eve. How is that possible? From a creation that was very good to a tempter in the garden. Well, listen carefully to these verses as I read them for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and then jude verse 6 and i remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority god gave them but left the place where they belonged god has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness waiting for the great day of judgment. So not unlike Adam and Eve, there was a company of angels that chose to disobey God. They rebelled. They refused to stay within those set limits, and when they stepped out of bounds, they experienced the judgment of God. The devil was the lead angel in that rebellion. Turn with me to a passage in Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah chapter 14. Verse 
Here in Isaiah 14, the prophet is describing the judgment of God on the Babylonian king, an earthly king. But then he starts to use language that really seems to be referring to something beyond this world. Some biblical expositors find this to be a description of how Satan or the devil fell. Verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Regardless of how it happened, devils, and demons are former angels who rebelled against God. And as a result, they were banished from his presence. They are awaiting a final great white throne judgment, according to Revelation chapter 20. And yet, in the meantime, presently, are working in our world, doing everything that they can to derail the plans and purposes of God. That is the devil's cause. That's his purpose. That's what gets him up in the morning, so to speak. His sole focus is to deceive, divide, and destroy the people of God and to derail the plans and purposes of God. Nowhere is that seen more clearly than in Luke chapter 4. In Luke 4, you'll remember, is the temptation of Jesus. Verse 1 reads, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, remember he was baptized by John the Baptist, was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Later, if you worship before me, it shall be yours, all of this. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And he's saying the angels will make sure nothing happens to you. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 4 says, When the devil had finished, and Jesus resisted him on every point, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left them until an opportune time. You have to admit that that was pretty ballsy on his part to approach Jesus. This wasn't Adam and Eve he was dealing with here. This was the one who was predicted in Genesis chapter 7 would have his, would bruise Satan's, would be bruised in the heel by the devil, but would eventually crush the serpent's head. But know this, the devil is real, 
and he's not your friend. But neither is he the friend of God. He is our adversary, focused on deceiving, dividing, and destroying the people of God and derailing the plans and purposes of God. The Apostle Paul, in a letter to believers, believers not all that unlike you and I, wrote these words. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Folks, whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, every one of us, every day, wake up and are engaged in a spiritual battle. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Know the devil's cause. And secondly, blow his cover. Jesus does that here in John chapter 8, verse 44, with first a diagnosis and then with a description. Remember the Wizard of Oz? Remember how the wizard was finally discovered? I'm quoting from the narrator of the story. For they saw, that's Dorothy and company, standing in just the spot the screen had hidden, a little old man with a bald head and a wrinkled face, who seemed to be as much surprised as they were. The great wizard had been exposed. His cover was blown. And he was nothing more than a small, little old man from Omaha, Nebraska. He had taken advantage of the gullibility of the Munchkin people. He had propelled himself into a position of power and hidden behind a screen. Now, I'm not for a moment suggesting that the devil is anything like that little old man from Omaha, Nebraska. The scriptures actually present him as a real and formidable opponent. Jesus' diagnose, Jesus' diagnosis exposed the devil's presence. He pulls back the screen so we can see him for who he really is. Look at verse 43 of John chapter 8. Why do you not understand what I am saying? Is it because you cannot hear? It is because you cannot hear my word. Houston, we have a problem. Jesus questioned their lack of understanding and then stated that their lack of understanding was due to a hearing impairment. Can I just say that this is one of the devil's primary strategies? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, informs us that the God of this world has blinded the minds. A blind mind is one who does not have the ability to understand. 
It's a blind mind. Has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The devil and his minions do all that they can to prevent us from understanding what God is doing and how he is involved in the world around us. Jesus goes on to make this troubling statement. You are of your father, the devil. Like father, like son. I think that I mentioned last week that in the spiritual realm, there are only two possibilities. You are either a child of God or a child of the devil. It's an either-or alternative, and there is no middle ground, no neutral territory. 1 John chapter 4 leaves no wiggle room. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Unbelievers practice sin. Those who do not believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, not only forfeit life in his name, eternal life, but are slaves of sin, according to verse 34 of John chapter 8, and are of their father, the devil. And notice the next logical step in verse 44. Do the desires of your father. Consciously or unconsciously, they become pawns for the devil's purposes. And you may want to underline the phrase that preceded that in your Bible. You want to. You want to. Nobody's holding a gun to your head. It's like father, like son. I'm not suggesting that all believers are consciously serving the devil's purposes. In most cases, they are oblivious, blind to these kinds of spiritual realities. And that's just how the devil would prefer it. But Jesus is blowing his cover with this diagnosis. Those who had claimed to believe in him were actually doing things that indicated they were of their father, the devil. Their inability to grasp spiritual realities, that's their perception. Their actions, that's their performance. And their desires, that's their passions. So Jesus' examination of their perceptions, their performance, and their passions exposed the devil's presence among them. And there's more. Jesus' description exposes the devil's practices. Look again at verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. Most Bible interpreters see this as another reference to Adam and Eve's act of rebellion. Following the serpent's lead, they chose to disobey God and receive both a spiritual and physical death sentence. Spiritual death was immediate. They were expelled from the garden and no longer could enjoy that intimate relationship with God, their Heavenly Father. Their physical death 
was not immediate, but it was now imminent. And not just for them, but for the entire human race. Adam and Eve would now live in a less than perfect world as a less than perfect couple. And they would produce children in their own likeness. And that continues to this very day. Our former pastor, I think I've mentioned this before, in uh, Jupiter, Florida, during baby dedications, would often remind us that uh, how can something so cute and cuddly be a sinner in disguise? But it's true. They are in desperate need of both guidance and God's grace. Think of what happened to Adam's and Eve's first offspring. They had a son. They named him Cain. They had another son. They named him Abel. And they grew up, these two brothers. And Cain became jealous of Abel and murdered him, took his life. Notice how John, the same writer of this gospel, refers to that very incident in a letter he wrote later on in 1 John chapter 3. We should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. Cain was of his father, the devil. The devil was a murderer from the beginning and was complicit in the first ever first-degree murder in the history of humanity. I've always thought the story of the healing of the demoniac in Luke chapter 8, parallel passages in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 5, reveals what the devil is all about. Turn to Luke chapter 8 for a moment. Verse 30, <clears throat> Jesus asks him, What is your name? And he's speaking to the demon that is in the demoniac's life. And he said, Legion, for many demons have entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go out away into the abyss. Now there were a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. How many herds of swine do you know that would actually do that? Rush down the steep slope into the lake and drown. The devil and his cohorts are set on death and destruction. He is a murderer from the beginning and nothing has changed. The devil will do all that he can to destroy life. Murder for sure, but whenever a life is taken, abortion, 
opioid epidemics, alcoholism. I think the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana is a step in the wrong direction. Gang violence, war, assisted suicide, you can be sure the devil and company are cheering us on. He is a murderer from the beginning. And the devil is also a liar and a deceiver. Look at verse 44 again in John chapter 8. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. The devil has absolutely nothing in common with truth. He represents the antithesis of truth. Everything that is true, he is not. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. So lying is a true reflection of who he really is. It, it's the essence of his character to lie. For he is a liar and the father of lies. It's like that Tropicana orange juice that's 100% pure. Oranges. The devil is 100% pure lie. Are you familiar with C.S. Lewis's classic book, The Screwtape Letters? Ever heard of it? The book consists of 31 letters. Each letter is a chapter. And they're written by a senior demon by the name of Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood, who is a lesser demon and is really in training. And Wormwood is kind of his discipler. This younger demon, less experienced, is charged with guiding a man, who's referred to as the patient, toward our father below, which in this book is the devil, our father below, from the enemy above, which is God. So this, I find this a really thought-provoking book. It's, um, it's really quite clever, actually presentation of, of the presence and practice of Satan and his company, demons. You do have to think in reverse, so it takes a while to get your head around the father below is actually the devil, and the enemy above is actually God. Here's a sample. The senior demon is instructing his understudy. Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. You see, the devil wants us to be in the dark. And he wants us to be moving away from God ever so gently so that we'll not even notice the growing distance between us and God. He is a master of deception. 
Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology text, wrote, the tactics of Satan and his demons are to use lies, deception, murder, and every other kind of destructive activity to attempt to cause people to turn away from God and to destroy themselves. That's the devil's M.O. Jesus' description exposed the devil's practices. Jesus' diagnosis exposed the devil's presence. And that kind of awareness is the first step toward avoiding his coercion. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But how do we do that? How do you and I resist the devil? Well, the first phrase of that verse may be a good place to start. Submit, therefore, to God. Submit yourself to God. And we do, when we do that, by believing Jesus Christ as the Son of God, by becoming one of his true and genuine disciples. And we do that by, first of all, admitting. Admitting that what the Bible says about us is absolutely true. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have turned away. Each of us has, has gone our own way. Each of us has turned to his own way. But, the, but God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, on Jesus. You and I have fallen short of the standard of perfection that God demands for relationship with him. We have sinned. So we admit that. And then we believe that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be, did what the scriptures say he did, and will do what he promised he will do. He lived a perfect life and died a horrible death to pay the price for your sin and mine. And then we confess in prayer something like this. Please, Father, forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for my sin. Help me to begin to live my life in a way that will please you and not just for myself or for what I think is right. Trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. You can't earn it. It's a gift that needs to be received. Submitting to God by establishing a genuine relationship with him, by trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation is the first step. Secondly, I would say that we need to admit and acknowledge the existence of this adversary. Let me just give you three dangers to avoid in this regard. Number one, avoid ignoring him, denying him or treating him as if he didn't exist. That would be a mistake. But at the same time, avoid the opposite extreme, developing an unhealthy preoccupation or curiosity, or even fear of him. We don't need to see the devil or a demon behind every tree or under every rock. 
that's giving the enemy way too much credit and control. The devil is not God's equal and opposite. He is a fallen angel. That does, however, make him a whole lot smarter and more powerful than you and I will ever be. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 informs us that Jesus, as a man, was made a little lower than the angels. So angels on the developmental org chart are above humans. But at the same time, the devil is not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient, all-knowing. And he is not omnipresent. We need to be aware of him, but not intimidated by him. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The third danger we need to avoid is to make light of him. Minimizing or underestimating his power and influence will not be helpful. He is not a cartoon villain dressed in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. That he is not. Thirdly, engage with a community of faith. Here is another excerpt from the Screwtape Letters about participation in local churches. Again, um, Screwtape is coaching Wormwood. Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church-going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster and connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes a man a critic where the enemy, that's God, remember, the enemy wants him to be a pupil, not a critic. So roll up your sleeves, get involved in a meaningful way. Be a contributor, build significant relationships where people will hold you accountable. Number four, it's a war. Put on the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, we won't take time to read it, outlines what that armor is all about. And actually, Tim Chalice in a blog on Thursday, I need to read this. In a classic work called Holy Helps for Godly Life, Richard Rogers puts significant effort into describing this armor. Then he pauses to tell us why we must not only know about it, but diligently use it. And here's a quote from Richard Rogers. The Christian cannot stand without this armor. He that is willing to live Christianity throughout his whole life must not be content to have the knowledge of the armor only in his head or in a book. He must digest this knowledge and make use of his own. He must neither doubt the truth of the armor nor fail to put it on. He must always be ready to clothe and furnish his soul with the pieces of the armor. For as apparel clothes the body, so the armor covers his nakedness and shame, and making him comely and well-favored in the sight of God. He must arm himself as the soldier arms himself with his breastplate, helmet, and sword, because God has applied this armor 
to defend him from the craftiness of the devil, his deadly enemy, and from the deceitfulness of the most horrible sin. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. You may want to write those down and read through that passage later on your own. Number five, avoid temptation, places, people, or activities. If it's going to draw you into sin, make sure you're not involved. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There's no temptation taken you, but says it's common to everyone. You're not unique. Everybody faces those kinds of temptations. But God provides a way of escape so that you can stand up under it, if you choose to. And we're asking you to choose to. That's what Christ wants. And number six, this is the final one, cling to the Christ vic- to Christ victory. That's the passage of Scripture that Wayne read for us earlier in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Through, that, though death, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And here's the point. An awareness of the devil's presence and practices, and practices, oh, I can't even say it, and practices enables you to avoid fulfilling his purposes. Make sense? Let's pray. Father, in some ways, it's a a topic that is difficult for us to to comprehend. It it deals with that unseen world, and yet your word speaks of it, informs us of its reality, and helps us to prepare to do battle against us, against it. So continue to equip us, we pray. We realize that apart from you, it's an impossibility. But with you, it becomes possible. And we're thankful for the relationship that we can enjoy with you because of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.